Welcome back to the Gobble em Up podcast, an official podcast of the Fifth Quarter Network, presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Now, here's your host, Carter Hill. And hello, Hokies, and welcome into episode 53 of the Gobble em Up podcast, a part of the Fifth Quarter Sports Network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Do you need a new or pre-owned car? If so, head on over to Duncan in Blacksburg. I drive a Mazda around town. I absolutely love it. So if you want to shake things up, go get you a Mazda. Duncan will take care of you over there on 460 Business in Blacksburg. You can find some of their new and pre-owned selection of vehicles at DuncanMazda.net. So check them out if you're in the market for a new or pre-owned car. Whether you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, we thank you all so, so much for joining us. And if you are on Apple or Spotify, go ahead and subscribe and give us a rating. We would so greatly appreciate it. I'm Carter Hill, your host and a contributor to Fifth Quarter, and we got a fun one to break down today. Friday Night Lights at Alumni Stadium in Chestnut Hill as Virginia Tech is set to take on Boston College in what should be a fun one on a chilly November evening up in New England. Now, Virginia Tech and Boston College, they've had quite some battles over the years. You may think of the Matt Ryan game in 2007, you know, the ACC championship games. Even in recent memory, they've had some good ones. Actually, Coach Beamer's final game without it being public knowledge, you know, that he was going to retire was actually a Halloween win up in Chestnut Hill over BC back in 2015. But don't take it from me. You know, we we did promise we were going to have some Pretty good guests on coming up, and that continues today with A.J. Black, who writes for BC Bulletin, known as your home for Boston College Eagles news and analysis. He's also the host of the Locked On BC podcast, which is a daily Boston College podcast. All that falls under the umbrella of the Sports Illustrated Network. So I don't want to you know, dilly-dally too much. We're going to go through this you know, short and sweet. It's game day Friday. Hopefully you all are able to get settled in and enjoy the game this weekend. You know, it should be a, a nice, a nice, nice evening to watch a watch a football game on the couch. So hopefully you all are able to do that. So let's get right into it. With that, here is Sports Illustrated's and BC Bulletin's AJ Black. Now back here on the Goblin Up podcast presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. We are pleased to welcome on to the show AJ Black, who writes for the BC Bulletin, which is part of the Sports Illustrated Network. He's also the host of the Locked on Boston College podcast, which is a daily BC podcast. AJ, thank you so much for coming on and previewing this Friday night. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I want to get into before we even talk about the game itself, I you know, I'd be remiss if I wasn't mentioning this to kick off this segment, but you know, the red bandana game, it's this Friday night. How much does this mean to the community, the school and Boston college football as a whole and honoring Wells Crowther. And can you just kind of tell me more about the game yeah, as a sure. whole? So it, for anyone who is not aware of the, of the story behind the red bandana, it's, it belong. It's 
a tribute to Wells Crather, who uh, live was lost in um, 9-11. He was a Boston College lacrosse player uh, who graduated from BC and went on to work on Wall Street in uh, New York, but did part-time work as a firefighter in New York as well. When the planes hit in on 9-11 in 2001, Wells was in one of the buildings, and while he was there, he spent you know, the time after the planes hit getting people out and he saved, I believe between 13 and 30 lives during that day. And, you know, eventually he went up one last time and the buildings collapsed and he, you know, he perished. But after he, after that happened, the survivors that were saved by, by Wells talked about the man in the red bandana. And they were saying that was the guy that saved him and that Wells' parents knew exactly who that was because Wells always went everywhere with his red bandana. So it became like the story of legend, like a hero of 9-11, this horrible day where, you know, so many people lost their lives. There was this one, you know, there's these stories like his story about this guy that saved so many lives. So. In 2000, so 2014 was the first game Boston College did. They did it before uh, UCF did it as a tribute for BC when BC played UCF in I think 2011. It was the 20th anniversary or, or um, yeah, uh, 10th year anniversary, excuse me, of 9-11. But BC started doing it on campus in 2014. Um, and what they do, they've done a whole bunch of different things with, you know, uh, changing their uniforms to have the red bandanas on them. You'll see it on Saturday or Friday, excuse me, where the, I believe the ones are going to use are the same ones they used earlier this year on nine 11 um, with the red bandana colors on the, um, the, the, uh, the numbers. You'll see that they'll do a whole tribute. If you haven't, if your listeners have not had a chance to watch ESPNs, I think Tom Rinaldi did it. Uh, just, just Google on YouTube or go to YouTube and, and Google or and look up the red man in the red bandana. You get a whole story. It's, it's, it's a tough listen, but it's really worth it. And they've, they've honored it. You know, his parents come to every game. His dad passed away about three years ago, but his mom still comes. Um, they do a whole tribute to him. You know, they change, you'll see like, you know, the, 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 the banners that the cheerleaders will bring out after a touchdown will be in red bandanas. They'll give red bandanas to all the students. The big event um, to honor, you know, one of the biggest here, one of the, one of the biggest heroes in Boston college history. Is it always on a Friday night? They do the game. I, I remember in the past they've had some Friday night games or is that just kind of a cool. So that's, that's in- interesting. You bring that up because some fans are like, it should just be the, the game that goes around nine 11. But you know, sometimes I think what BC and the media want is to give it the most exposure. Um, because, so right. instead of having it buried, like if, you know, if BC's playing like Wagner on, you know, on nine 11, cause usually those early games can be like an FCS or like Mac team that no one's going to watch. They, they pick a game that has the most significance. So this year it's Virginia tech, obviously, you know, two teams that have a history. It's a Friday night. They pick that's going to be on, you know, the ESPN channels. That's a big one. Last year it was Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame, BC is it got, you know, the Catholic school history. So they always seem to go with the big matchup and, and obviously, and honestly it started with a big matchup. It started in 2014 against USC. USC was, I think sixth ranked at that point. BC beat them. It's the last time, Boston College has beaten a ranked team. I know it seems like ages, but that was such a historic win that that's kind of how this tradition is kind of built up. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Seems like definitely a great story. I'm interested in definitely watching the game Friday night and seeing seeing how all that unfolds for sure. But you know, into the game itself. So so Boston College had pretty high expectations, you know, coming into the season. A lot of momentum under second year head coach Jeff Halfley. You know, four wins to start the year. Now four losses in a row. Other than the obvious with you know Phil Jerkovic's injury. What do you make out of the Eagles at this point in the year and what has gone wrong in ACC? So there's a bunch of issues, but I think it all kind of funnels down to the quarterback play. Now, their offensive line has, you know, gets, you know, I've I've been on a million different podcasts and every single one asked me, why is the offensive line so good? And, you know, I, I challenge them to watch because the BC offensive line gets a lot of praise. And I think it's a lot of media hype because they are five returning starters. And some of them are good. Zion Johnson has had a great season. Alec Lindstrom, other than the botch snap against Syracuse last week, has been pretty good. That being said, there has been some struggles. Like last week, Jack Conley started uh, in, t- in place of Tyler Vrabel, son of Mike Vrabel, head coach of the Tennessee Titans, um, was just had a, a miserable game. He allowed five quarterback hits, three sacks. He just He was a mess, had to be replaced. So the offensive line in inability to keep the the quarterback on their feet has been a major problem for BC. That being said, you combine that with quarterback play that is not ACC level at this point, and that keeps BC's offense from being on the field long enough to keep the defense fresh. And without Without hesitation, what happens every game it happened against NC State, it happened against Louisville, it happened against Syracuse, is the defense wears down. They have to do so much to keep BC in this game because the offense isn't doing it. And so the defense by the third quarter is is gassed, and it happens every game. And then they just let up points. You know, they let up 21, I think. Or they let up uh, 21, I think, to Syracuse on th- on in the third quarter on Saturday last week, you know, they let up, uh, it felt like 35 against NC state a couple of weeks ago. It was a lot. So I think the, the problems up front combined with the offensive line and in, in, in the quarterback play have really doomed BC. And, and it just, it just, that poor play has spread to all seg- segments of BC football. Yeah, no, definitely seems to be the case. Offensive struggles. I did read something, correct me if I'm wrong. BC's offensive line may be the best pass-blocking O-line in the ACC. I could be wrong there. I was reading through some stats on them earlier, but they do seem to have a pretty good unit there. Now, you know, you you touched on it a little bit. How big of a loss was Phil Jerkovic, and how would you evaluate how his replacements, Dennis Grossell and Emmett Moorhead, have done, and who do you think will be the starter this weekend after a little so, back and forth? So it has been catastrophic. And, th- I mean, going into the season – um, on Locked On Boston College, I did a daily pre uh, prediction for the season, and in one of them, I predicted that Boston College's offense would would be as effective as 2007 when they were under Matt Ryan, and you know they had that big game against Virginia Tech and Blacksburg Thursday night yep. game. Yep, absolutely, one of the biggest <laughs> games in BC history. And I look at the full now, but that just shows you how important Jakovic was because he really elevated that play. He can do so much with an accurate arm, with his ability to make reads. He's a, he's a, you know, tough as nails. Now that he's gone, Dennis Grossell, I, I admit I had expectations for him because last season he, in his season finale, he threw for 520 yards at BC record against UVA. Now on top of that though, get a look at the stats, 
threw three interceptions and a lot of them were just heaves, you know, that he was trying to like do too much as BC was falling behind. So he came in and we learned quickly that Grossell has no accuracy beyond like 10 to 12 yards. He cannot throw a deep ball at all. And it started to kill BC's deep offense. And, you know, at, you know, Clemson did it and, NC State and Louisville just started cheating up and beating up BC's running backs and beating up um, the short intermediate routes. Because you, what you would hope for is that with a quarterback like Rossell, you could just throw the quick stuff to Zay Flowers, who's one of the fastest receivers BC's ever had, and let him do stuff. However, when the safeties aren't respecting anything you're going to do deep, they're just going to cheat. And so this, again, just completely implodes BC's offense because now they have to throw it deep because they can't do anything underneath they can't throw it deep because Grossell can't hit the long ball. So they're stuck again. Last week, finally, after three weeks of watching him kind of flounder, and, you know, I think he had like five interceptions or, you know, he had a bunch, his interceptions and turnover ratios to touchdowns were atrocious. After the second um, uh, drive, Halfley goes to Emmett Moorhead, who is a 6'5", true freshman from Virginia, uh, originally from California. He went to play at Episcopal in Virginia. Um, hadn't played – he didn't get to play last year because in Virginia, I, I, I believe they didn't allow high school football. So he sat out. Correct. In the spring, yep. correct. Absolutely. So, yep. But he's been killing it during practice. He, I, You know, the half, Halfley and the staff are very, very high on him. He's raw, though. And he's, he has a lot of work to do, uh, but he's got a cannon for an arm. So that makes him very different than what Jakovic does. Cause we saw on, on the first drive of the game with Moorhead under, under center, he throws for 45, a 45 yard pass to flowers, something we waited four games for uh, with Grossell. He just couldn't do it. So you see that, but then he struggles. Like obviously he's, he can't get past his second read and you know, he's getting sacked all over the place. So he's got a lot of work to do too. So you have these two different quarterbacks, Neither of them are very polished or, you know, ACC level. And you have to wonder where they're going to be on Friday night. We were talking about their schedule earlier. The Eagles started off with a 51 nothing win over Colgate. Took down UMass 45-28. to Is that the game that Jerkovic went down or was it Temple? The no, it was, it was the UMass game. It was the first drive of the game. UMass, first okay. drive of the game. It was – he just marched right down the field. And I think it was on, they were on the two yard line and they were just going to have him just plow in and he slipped, I think, and then went to brace himself, I believe, and broke his either hand or wrist. It's a totally gotcha. Okay. And then they, injury. Right. And then they go to Temple when 28 to three in Philly. And then they had that exciting game against Missouri. I remember watching that game live 41 to 34. It seemed like alumni stadium was rocking yep. up there. They have that game at Clemson where you know, probably could have won. They have, I think it was a late fumble. Yeah, it was the uh, last that, drive uh, of the game, Dennis Grossell, they, right. they, he took his eye off. Of, he went to look at the the play clock and they, they snapped it to him and he fumbled it. I remember, I remember watching that one too. They have the game against NC State at home. They get beat 33 to seven. They get a Louisville lose 20 to 14. And most recently they lose at Syracuse 21 to six. I want to talk more about the Eagles offense. Boston College historically, at least recently, has had pretty good running backs as well. Andre Williams, AJ Dillon obviously come to mind. Pat Garwo seems to be the guy this year. How dangerous is the Pennsylvania native on the ground and what does he bring to the table? So 
you know, they, they changed philosophies when Steve Adazio was fired a couple of years ago. Steve Adazio was much more the, you know, I think of him as the 1940s, you know, gym coach who wants to run the ball and be physical. Um, and that's where you saw AJ Dillon and Andre Williams really succeed. Um, they had a, a running back out of the Adazio system last year, David Bailey. He transferred back to Colorado State to be with Adazio. But, you know, you're right. Garwo is a physical running back. And I had to tell a quick funny story. Every year, you know, I've been writing about BC and doing podcasts for years. Every year I, I seemingly get a, a parent of a player upset with me. Last year it was Josh DeBerry, a defensive back who had a very good year. This year it was Pat Garwo. And it was because – he, you know, when I looked at that depth chart and I looked at what Halfley wanted to do with this offense, I was like, yeah, he's not going to be the kind of guy he's going to go for. He's going to go for, you know, Alex Sinkfield or Travis Levy, these guys that can, you know, catch the ball if Jakovic tries to get him out of the, out of the backfield. Then Jakovic goes down and all of a sudden the the offense flips and they go, you know, they're like, okay, so we can't rely on Grossell all the time. So let's go back to being a power running team. We didn't do that. They didn't do that at all last year. And who do they use? They use Pat Garwell and he's good. He has a, he has had a bunch of good games and I have to, I had to, you know, to eat some humble pie on this one because I had him down as like my four string running back and he's easily the best running back that they have. And he's had a great year. He's physical. He uh, against NC state. He had a, you know, a, a hit stick hit on one of their defenders that would have, uh, made Andre Williams and AJ Dillon proud, who both had s- their time some during their time at BC. Um, but again, when the offense can't, you know, keep defenses honest, they just cheat and hit, you know, cheat up and and load the box, and it's kind of limited him at times. And also, you know, I don't like to question the the coaching staff all that much yet. But I do wonder why they continually only give him about 17 to 20 carries. I know they want to keep him fresh, but when their offense can't do anything, he's been one of the most consistent guys that they can get the ball to that can move it. And they they just they they go to Alex Singfield and Travis Levy, who haven't really done it. And then Zay Flowers, we talked about him. One of the most dynamic receivers in the ACC, in my opinion, certainly one of the most elusive and most, you know, the, one of the quickest receivers in the league. What do the Hokies have to do to contain him? And what does either Grassell or Moorhead have to do to expose that Virginia Tech defense utilizing the four so ladder he, He's absolutely, he's one of the best wide, he's, he is the best wide receiver I've seen at Boston College. I've been following, I've, as either a student fan, you know, high school student, I've seen many wide receivers. I haven't seen anyone like Zay Flowers. Um, he's got quickness and speed that Boston College normally never gets, and he can be a major issue. Now, even the reason why I don't think what's going on with BC is a coaching issue is because over the last five games, two times per game, there'll be a he'll run a post route or or streak down the field, and he'll have his defender off by four to five yards, and Grossell can't hit him. So that tells you, like, he, they're they're setting it up so he can do it. They're just not executing it. So he can be a humongous deep threat. So, if, and I, I, you know, I, haven't, I don't think I've said it yet. I think Emmett Moorhead will be the starter on Saturday. I mean, on Friday. He was available for media availability this week, which I would find odd if he was going to be the backup. Um, he's got the ability to hit Zay deep. Um, so I think that will help a lot. Uh, for BC's offense, I think that could be a major factor because if he can get them, str- if they, if he can help stretch the defense, which is what Zay does best, 
that's when Frank Signetti, BC's offensive coordinator, that's when his offense clicks at a high level. And then on the flip side, what about this Eagles defense? How do you see them matching up against Virginia Tech and what they have been doing offensively? And how would you rate their performance to this point in the season? So BC is a, is a little different than you saw last year because BC's defense against Virginia Tech last year was one of the poor performances I've seen under Jeff Halfley. Like they just got, you know, just, uh, um, sorry, Hendon Hooker and Khalil Harbert both just, you know, they just took BC to town. Um, but I think you're going to see a little difference here. You know, and I think the, the, the big difference is BC went out in the off season and really addressed their speed issue. They had two linebackers last year, Isaiah McDuffie, who's now on the green Bay Packers and Max Richardson, who's on the practice squad with the Las Vegas Raiders um, that I don't feel fit with halfway system. Now R- Richardson was like a leader kind of slow. He, he lacked physical physical um, abilities to really stop. And that's what Virginia Tech did a great job of exposing him. Isaiah McDuffie had the physical abilities, but played like a maniac and had, it was out of control half the game. So he, he, you know, when you played against a team like Virginia Tech, who, you know, whether, you know, they were playing option or whatever they were doing, they could get McDuffie in in a tizzy because they, you know, he wasn't the brightest player on the field. They added Isaiah Graham Mobley, who Hokies fans should watch out for because he missed last game and Halfley has him as hopeful for this game, which I don't know what that means. His, his injury designations are hard to read, but Isaiah Graham Mobley, the loss of him would be big because he is their energy leader. He's their, you know, their emotional uh, support, uh, big guy on linebacker. He's a transfer from temple has done a really nice job. He's got the experience. He's been there. He's played a lot. Um, and I think he's a, a big time factor on that defense. Um, the big play, though, when you're looking at what BC does well, is the play of their secondary. Uh, you know, they're the best passing defense in the ACC, and it's because of technique. And that's Jeff Halfley's uh, bread and butter. You know, he was a defensive coordinator with the 49ers, with Ohio State. You know, he's been everywhere, and he's caught. He's taught some of the best. You know, Richard Sherman, Darrell Revis, you name it, uh, and some of those guys at Ohio State that are in the in the pros now. Um, Jeff Okoda, I think his name is. And I love what he's done with this defense because these, the secondary is playing tough. He, lo- he always uses the term, they play violent. Um, and they're, they're, they're physical. They're always on, they stick to, to their receivers and they've done an exceptional job. They held um, Garrett Schrader to 65 passing yards last week, which shows what they can do um, th- uh, in, in terms of injuries as well. There's tops cornerback, Brandon Sebastian is day to day. He missed last week. I don't know if he's going to play this week. We'll have to wait and see. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much Virginia Tech will be able to build off their successful offensive performance these last few weeks in the air and both on the ground against this BC defense. So, you know, with that, what's your got to happen for Boston College to win this game? I'll cover the Virginia Tech side later in the podcast. And what's your pick for Friday evening in Chestnut Hill? I... I, if I was betting me and I still, I'm still leaning on Virginia tech on this one because until BC can show me that they can get their offense going. Um, I, I don't believe that they're going to, uh, they went over four for in the red zone last week against Syracuse. They only ended up with six points. They didn't, you know, they didn't have a touchdown. Um, their issues are, are big right now. And, um, I'm not sure if M- playing a, fr- a, a true freshman is going to be able to help them get over that. I don't know where that offense is going to look like, but with it being the red bandana game, it could be closer than I expect, but I still think I have Virginia tech winning 
by like 10, 13 points. Do you think it's going to be low scoring? Or, oh, I would take the under. I don't, I don't even see? know what the over is, under is on this, but based off what I saw BC playing, I would, I would take the under. I know last week um, I took the under on BC and it was like a 51 point spread uh, over under. And BC had, I think the end was like 27 points. So I would go on. It was, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it didn't get close to 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't. I haven't looked to see what the over-under is this week either, but I definitely would put my money on a low-scoring game with Virginia Tech's inconsistencies offensively, and it seems like they've, well, other than the Syracuse game, they've had quite the year defensively, but I'll get into that more later in the, the podcast. One more question for you before we let you go. It's more, you know, uh, I guess a Boston area-related question for the Hokies, and I do know a couple that are traveling up to New England this weekend. If they are in the Boston area, it's your first time. We asked, we, we, we typically ask our guests this if they are in, you know, the respective opposing teams area. Where should they, you know, check out to, to grab some dinner the night before the game or maybe after the game? What about a sports bar? What about, you know, a great place to get some clam chowder. What's your take there? <laughs> if you want clam chowder, you got to head into Boston for that. I mean, if, if you want to drive, I would tell you go to the North Shore. That's where I'm originally from. That's where all the 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 seafood places are. There's a place called Woodman's that is the best fried seafood on the North Shore. Um, it's about 45 minutes to an hour from BC. But if you have the time, if like you know, it's a Friday night game. If your flight's not until Sunday, take the hour drive. It's it's incredible. Fresh seafood, you'll love it. Um, in terms of in Boston, if you're just going to stay local, uh, great Italian food in the in the North End. I mean, you can't you can't you can't miss out where you're going to. I mean, there's a million different Italian foods. All of them are great. Just find whatever one has a, you know availability. Hit those up. If you are going to BC, just as a warning, I'm sure Virginia Tech fans, we've been in the ACC long enough to know. If you're going to the game, do not try to just head to Boston College to tailgate because you will get turned around and you're going to struggle to find time to get into the game. BC has got this stupid uh, donor-based system to allow tailgating, and you can't donate enough. I mean, like the amount that you're going to donate is enough for a um, a vacation if you wanted to try to do it. <laughs> don't like, don't do it. Um, they have beer trucks now. I saw it when I went to cover the game earlier this year at the NC State game. They have beer trucks on campus, which is great. So if like you park and go on, you can get beer and you get food at the food trucks and stuff, which is new. Um, so that's that's great. But what most opposing fan bases go to is a bar that's about a 10-minute walk from BC called Cityside. Um, I love there. I used to go there all the time when I was at BC. Um, good beer, good, good food. It's a standard pub fare, but uh, it's usually where the opposing fan bases uh, check out. So I would go there. Gotcha. Well, hopefully it'll be a fun weekend up in Boston. I'm definitely a sucker for seafood. So that's definitely where I would be checking out the first place that you mentioned that, that, that is definitely where I would be checking out if I was heading up there this weekend. Unfortunately, there's no Celtics. There's no Patriots. The Red Sox season's over. Obviously <sighs> down in Atlanta last week, the Braves game was going on. I knew a couple people that went over there, but Hopefully, for the Hokies going up there, you'll be able to have a nice weekend up in New England. Well, that is AJ Black with BC Bulletin for Sports Illustrated. AJ, thank you so much for coming on and helping previewing this Friday this Friday night matchup. We really appreciate you All right, coming thanks on. Thanks for having me on, man.
And a big thanks to AJ Black, who writes for BC Bulletin, an affiliate of Sports Illustrated, which is your home for uh, Boston College news and analysis. He's also the host of the Locked On BC podcast, which is a daily Boston College podcast. So he gave his take. I'm going to give mine as well, short and sweet. You know, kind of, you know, hitting on some of the points that he has to hit or that he was hitting on. From a Virginia Tech perspective, you know, I look at this game and I say, can Virginia Tech build on what they did last week? And they finally played a complete game, really their first one since North Carolina in this 2021 campaign. And, you know, I I look at it and I'm like, Virginia Tech, you know, they've been able to run the ball. That's been very obvious with the emergence of true freshman Malachi Thomas. That has opened up the passing game. It's made Burmeister better. It's made Malachi Thomas better. It's made Raheem Blackshear better and has certainly made Trey Turner and uh, Tavion Robinson better. Now, we actually were down with our 3304 sports crew down in Atlanta last weekend for Tech and Georgia Tech down in Midtown. And, you know, it's been talked about on Twitter and everything, but that was the most physical I've ever seen Trey Turner in a game, and hopefully he'll be able to build off of that, as the offense hopefully will be able to as well. They put together a complete game offensively for sure, defensively as well. They bounced back from a rough performance against Syracuse. Alan Tisdale was all over the place. The defensive front was able to get after Georgia Tech quarterback Jeff Sims. And they're going to have to repeat that performance now. Like he said, we don't know who BC will trot out there at quarterback, but it's no secret that the Virginia Tech defense will have to build on what they did last weekend down in Atlanta. Now, on the offensive side, they got to run the football. They have got to run the football. Boston College's secondary is one of the best in the ACC. Burmeister likely will try to find Trey Turner and Tavian Robinson as much as he possibly can. But it, you know, with how strong their secondary is, I think you know your safer bet is to run the football with Malachi Thomas, and hopefully they'll be able to do that. And if they can, I think they'll have a good shot to walk out of Alumni Stadium with yet another victory. Now, if Phil Jerkovic is playing for Boston College. This could be a completely different story. Now, Phil Dracovic last year, AJ mentioned it, a Notre Dame transfer. They came down to Blacksburg last year and got whooped 40-14. to 14. Now, that was, I would say, just looking at the stats, his worst performance of the season and Boston College's worst performance as a whole because second-year head coach Jeff Hackley has done a fantastic job up in Chestnut Hill. Previously was the, the defensive coordinator at Ohio State and had multiple NFL stops, as AJ touched on. But... You know, this is going to be an interesting game. If Dracovic plays, I don't know. I would maybe lean towards BC, but also we haven't really seen him play, and we don't know if he's fully healthy. So that is yet to yet to be determined. But I think I got to pick the Hokies to win this game. You know, we still don't know. This team is very inconsistent. We saw what they did down against down in Atlanta against Georgia Tech last weekend. If they can replicate any type of that performance this weekend and run the football effectively, the Hokies should take down the Eagles for the second consecutive year. Now, I'm not entirely confident with that one, but I do like the matchup for Virginia Tech. So I've been picking all year based on matchups, as many people do. I wouldn't really bet on the Hokies right now, but I I do think Virginia Tech will walk out of Alumni Stadium with a victory, which would put them at 5-4 and four overall this year and 3-2 and two in ACC play and likely is going to pretty much secure a bowl spot. You know, you never know, but with Duke coming to town, 
that shouldn't be much of a competition. Hopefully, if you're if you're a Hokie fan, although Virginia Tech seems to he seems to play they, or they seem to play a lot of close games. So I would imagine it will be a similar showdown next Saturday in Lane Stadium against the Blue Devils. But Boston College is up first. A Friday night game, the Red Bandana game, honoring Wells Crowther. That should be a good one. Tonight, 7.30 on ESPN2. It should be nice to get you know some national attention again. This is a great opportunity for Virginia Tech to kind of show how much it has improved over the course of the season. The national perception after the Pittsburgh and the Syracuse game has kind of gone back to, well, Virginia Tech is down, which is 100% true, but it would be nice to get a big-time win once again on national TV on a Friday night. And what better way to do it than up at Boston College? Also, before we go, quick shout-out to the Virginia Tech men's soccer team. They took care of Boston College actually down here at Thompson Field this past Wednesday evening in the first round of the ACC championships is what they call it in men's soccer. Men's soccer in the ACC, an absolute gauntlet up next to the Hokies. Travel up to Pittsburgh this weekend to face off against the top-seeded Panthers. I believe they're in the top four in the country this Sunday afternoon up in the Steel City. So that should be a good one. So congrats to head coach. Mike Brizendine and company, they should be poised for an NCAA tournament appearance, as is uh, the women's soccer program here at Virginia Tech. They've had, now they did not qualify for the ACC championships. Again, a gauntlet as well, but they hopefully will be able to secure a bid for the 2021 NCAA tournament. So should be fun to watch some hokey soccer as the rest of the fall unwinds. Also, Quick housekeeping notes coming up. Virginia Tech and Maine tip off the Hokies 2021-22 men's basketball season this Tuesday evening from Castle Coliseum. That's an 8 p.m. tip. The women open up their season as well at 5 p.m. earlier that day against the Davidson Wildcats. So we'll have a podcast early next week before that one previewing the upcoming men's and women's basketball season in what should be an exciting year inside Castle Coliseum for both the Virginia Tech men's and women's basketball teams. I think both have a shot to be really, really, really good, but we'll certainly get into that a little bit more next week. We'll have some fun stuff coming up for you here on episode 54 of the Goblin Up podcast, but that will do it for episode 53 of the Goblin Up podcast, a part of the fifth quarter sports network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Thank you all so, so, so much for listening. Take care. Enjoy the game. Virginia Tech and Boston College this evening from Chestnut Hill. Go Hokies. And we will talk to you early next week as we preview the upcoming basketball season in Blacksburg. Talk to you then.